Take your copy of God's Word and find 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, as we think this morning about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We have sung of Jesus this morning. We sing of Jesus every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening. He is the treasure of heaven. And we love him because he loved us first and gave himself as an atoning sacrifice for the remission of our sins. We are a Jesus church. When I was a very young preacher, like just had been called to preach for a few weeks, and I was home with my parents, and uh, a lady, a fourth grade teacher by the name of Mrs. Garner, called me and asked me if I would speak at the study club. Uh, that was a club that ladies did. She said, I want you to speak on Hawaii. I said, Mrs. Garner, I don't know a thing about Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii. She said, no problem, I have a book on Hawaii. And I'll drop it off at your house and you can read it and develop a talk on Hawaii. So I did. I read the book, I made a talk on Hawaii, I went to the study club and we sat there. In one hand you have a cup of tea, in the other hand you have some cookies and how you it's not at a table, it's in your lap, and how you negotiate that, I don't know when both hands are occupied. It was a challenge for me. But I gave a talk that day on Hawaii, and I came away from there resolved. I will never, no, never, no, never again agree to give a talk anywhere under any circumstances unless I can determine the content of the talk. And when I determine the content of the talk, it will always be about Jesus. Fast forward a number of years, even decades. It was back before 1994 because we were still worshiping at our old campus over on Dean Road. And on a Saturday night, I was in my study and about eight o'clock someone was, came in the study, found out later he had a master key. He made his way down the hall. I, I knew someone was there. I thought it was another staff person and when he got to my door, he was uh, more surprised than I because he didn't expect anybody to be in the office administrative building. And so he looked like he had the, that deer in the headlights look and he turned and ran. And I chased him out of the building, rebuking him saying, come back in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, you must stop. He didn't respond to my rebuke. <laughs> so I chased him through the neighborhood until such time as I ran out of, I fell out of one of my shoes and he got away. So I went back, called the police. Within an hour, they had him arrested. They asked me to identify him, I did. And then he spent the weekend in jail. And uh, a few weeks later, I was summoned to appear in court. It was his trial. There were many people being tried that day, he being one. And uh, most of those being uh, tried in city court were given either a $300 fine or 30 days in jail. Well, I knew this man didn't have $300 to pay the fine. And besides, I wanted to lead him to Jesus. 
So when his name was called, I stepped up in front of the, the bench and said to uh, the judge, Your Honor, I know this is an unusual request. I noticed you've been sending some people today to 30 days in jail or a $300 fine. I said, instead of doing that, and I call this man by name who had broken in, in, our, in our office, I said, instead, would you, would you sentence him to come to Lakeview for uh, every Sunday for three months and hear me preach? <laughs> and the judge looked at him and called him by name and said, would you be amenable to do that? And I thought the man was going to hug my neck. He didn't want to go to jail. He had been in jail more times than he wanted to count. And so he hammered the gavel down and sent us to sent us Stanley to come hear me preach for three months. So uh, he turned to walk out, and I fell in behind him, and I said, Stanley, sit down here. I want to talk to you. <laughs> I said, now, you heard, you heard what the judge said. And uh, I said, I know you know where our church is, obviously. <laughs> I, I took out a business card and I wrote the times on there, the worship times, and I said, Stanley, I expect you to be on the front row every Sunday for the next 13 weeks. And the first Sunday you miss, I'm gonna call the judge on Monday morning at eight o'clock, you're going to jail. He nodded, he was happy. He came every Sunday for 13 Sundays. And I haven't seen him since on Sunday morning, but he, he did come. <laughs> the word got all over town. And uh, <laughs> one non-Lakeview member, I hope it was a non-Lakeview member, I never found out who said it, but word around town was, one man said, I'd rather go to jail for 30 days than listen to Jackson preach for, for 13 <laughs> Sundays. So, uh, some folks like to hear preaching about Jesus and some rather go to jail. Well, I want you to know, uh, like the Apostle Paul, I'm, I'm resolved and have been for the duration of my, my pastoral ministry to, to speak only of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, with our Bibles open to that passage. Would you follow as I read the word of the Lord? When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. All scripture is God breathed, but our key verse in this passage is verse two, where Paul said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I actually preached this text 39 years ago yesterday as I was making my way through 1 Corinthians, one of the first books that I preached through when I became your pastor. And it is fitting that I use this text in this my final sermon to you 
my message is going to be rather autobiographical today. Uh, please indulge me and allow me to do that. It's not typical of my preaching ministry, but this text, this 1 Corinthians text, has, chapter 2, has been a North Star for me. And I've sought to pattern my preaching after that of the Apostle Paul. I'm not trying to make favorable comparisons with myself with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is the greatest man that ever lived other than the Lord Jesus Christ in my estimation. But there are two axioms in this text I want you to see with me this morning. And uh, let me just give them to you and then we'll work through them individually. The, f the first is I want you to see with me the weakness of the messenger and then second, we want to think about the power of the message. But first, let's consider the weakness of the messenger. The Apostle Paul was the messenger who brought the gospel to Corinth. He had been preaching in Athens. Now, Athens was a center of intellectual uh, wisdom and knowledge, and Paul had ministered there, and now he had come to Corinth. You can read about it in uh in 1 Corinthians chapter, I believe it's chapter 19. And so Paul says of his coming to Corinth, look in verse one, when I came to you brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. Now, Paul, uh, Paul was not apparently a very gifted speaker. In fact, uh, we won't look there, but you can make a note and look there later. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9, Paul said in his second letter to the Corinthian Christians, some say of him, quote, his letters are forceful and weighty. Of course, we've read those inspired letters. They are forceful and weighty. But in person, he, Paul, is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. So apparently Paul was not the articulate, eloquent uh, speaker as was, say, uh, Apollos, who also uh, has spent time there in Corinth. So Paul says here, I did not come with eloquence of speech or superior wisdom. Uh, the sophists were very common there. They were the so-called intellectuals, and they're just uh, learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And when Paul goes to Corinth, he makes no attempt to hold his own with the intellectuals. Instead, he says, I resolve to know nothing with you, among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, the Apostle Paul could do that. He was a brilliant man. And I read some years ago that uh, someone said that he had the equivalent of three PhDs of our generation. And when you read his letters, uh, Romans through Philemon, you, you see his brilliance come into play. Uh, he, was, uh, he was highly trained in uh, all, all the laws of uh, Judaism, and he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But when he, he said, when I, when I came to you, uh, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony about God. And when I say to you that I have, have had Paul as my North Star, uh, again, I'm not in his league. Uh, he could have done that. I believe the Apostle Paul could have done that. He could have spoken with all the wisdom that he had. Now, I don't have that. When I first sat down with the pastor search committee in the den of Carolina Baptist Church in South Alabama, 
in March of 1979, I said to the committee, and little did I know that every member of that committee was either a professor or administrator at Auburn University. I don't know what they were. I said, I said to them, I'm interested in talking to you about becoming your pastor. But you need to know if you are looking for a pastor, he's going to hold his own with the educators and the academicians and the professors and the philosophers and the scientists and the engineers on the campus of Auburn University. I'm not your man. You need to find somebody else. But if you're looking for somebody who will resolve in his heart to come to the Lakeview pulpit Sunday by Sunday, week after week with a fresh word from the word of God, then I'm interested in becoming your pastor. And it's like their eyes lit up, uh, like a Christmas tree being plugged in. And they started nodding and saying, that's exactly what we've been praying for. I have described my preaching as cornbread and peas, just meat and potatoes, just plain, simple, but from the word of God. And Paul says, looking in in verse one, when I, when I came, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. And Paul's specific focus was on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God. Look in verse two. Paul says, I resolved while I was with you to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we'll come back to verse two a little later in the message. But Paul is talking about his weakness. He's the messenger and he comes in weakness. Verse three, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. J.B. Phillips in his paraphrase, paraphrases of verse three this way. I was nervous and rather shaky. <laughs> I identify with that part for sure. Uh, you, don't, you don't know this, but it's only been in the last four or five years that I don't get nervous on Sunday. I preached 6,000 times in my life, most of them in this pulpit. And only until just a very few years ago did, did I not get nervous. I mean, I, I, I don't need to describe it to you, but my hands would shake on Sunday morning, all during my final preparations on Sunday morning. I, I can identify with this, to come in fear and trembling. I take great consolation in, in, in uh, knowing that, that Paul was that way. Hudson Taylor, who founded the China Inland Mission, said all God's giants have been weak people. And the older I get, the, the more weak I become physically. Um, the more infirm I become, the slower I am of speech, the slower uh, I am of gait, the less steady I am of feet. But the older I get, the more I sense the, the anointing of the Spirit of God on my life. And so I came to a university community and I have preached the Lord Jesus Christ for these many years and God has given us his favor, which has far exceeded anything I or any of us would ever have imagined back in 1979. I've just preached the gospel I preach that God is love, 
and that Jesus saves and the blood will wash away our sins and all who repent and believe can receive the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of God which is eternal life and that someday our ascended Lord will come again in the clouds and take his bride to be with him forever. Some didn't like my preaching in those early days. They didn't stay long. Reminded of something that uh, happened to Martin Lloyd-Jones, perhaps the greatest preacher of the 20th century. Lloyd-Jones was a brilliant physician in uh, the, the mid 20th century in London. God called him to gospel ministry. He was pastor of Westminster Chapel there in the heart of the city. One occasion he was invited to speak at Oxford University and so he and Mrs. Lloyd-Jones made the trip from London to Oxford to speak and Dr. Lloyd-Jones was preaching to those brilliant Oxford students as if they were his own congregation and when the meeting was over, Mrs. Lloyd-Jones, uh, a student came up to Mrs. Lloyd-Jones and said to her, the doctor spoke to us tonight as if we were all sinners. And she said, indeed he did. He always does. And we are all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. You think of the best person you can think of, and that person stands guilty in the presence of our thrice holy God. And the greatest thing a sinner needs is a Savior. And Jesus came to save us from our sins. So Paul says, I come in weakness and trembling, fear. Look back in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 through 25. I don't want to preach this text as well. I just want us to see it as a, as a supplementary text because it, it sheds light on what we're, what we're looking at in chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 1, 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Now, Paul did baptize a few folks. You look back up there, he named some. Uh, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the, of the world, the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness, not of preaching. Nothing foolish about preaching. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, that is, the gospel. The gospel. Of salvation. God was pleased through the foolishness of what is preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. 
God in his foolishness is wiser than all the university professors on the Auburn University campus put together. I'm not trying to be offensive to Auburn University professors because we have a lot in our church and they love Jesus and they believe the book and they stand for him and thank God for them. But we're just finite creatures. God is infinite and all wisdom is his and God in his infinite wisdom and goodness and mercy and love has declared that it is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that guilty sinners can be reconciled to God and have fellowship with God and know God and spend eternity with God. Man in his wisdom thinks if I, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'm in, if my bad deeds outweigh my good deeds, I'm in bad trouble, but I know I got a lot more good deeds than bad deeds. So I know I'm in good shape. And the measure of the cross is no. The measure of the cross is we're all in trouble and we all need a savior. And that savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ did on the cross was he paid a sin debt that you and I could never pay. He shed his blood for the remission of our sins. And if we'll put our trust in him, his finished work on the cross, then he will reconcile us into the father's household and we will become the sons and daughters of God. That's the message that Paul preached. And that's the message that I preached. And that's the message that our next pastor preaches and will preach. James Denny, a Scottish theologian, said, and I quote, No man can at the same time show himself to be clever and Jesus mighty to save. Bernard Clare, though, said, yesterday I preached myself and the scholars came up and praised me. Today I preached Christ and the sinners came up and thanked me. Paul said, I resolve to preach nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But not only shall we think about the weakness of the messenger, let's think about the power of the message. The power of the message of the gospel of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in verses 4 and 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. My message, which was the cross of Christ, and my preaching, were not with wise and persuasive words like the sophists, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You see a reference in verse four to the power of the Holy Spirit, and you see it again in verse five. Paul proclaimed the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was not trusting in his uh, intellectual pedigree, though it was great, but he was trusting that the Spirit of God would take the gospel of the Son of God as he proclaimed it and bring sinners to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can convict of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can bring new life. The Bible says that, that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Now, we're not dead physically, 
Well, we're not dead soulishly. We have mind, emotions, and will. Then where are we dead if we're not dead physically and, and uh, soulishly? Where are we dead? We're dead in our spirit. Paul told the Ephesians, uh, they had come to Christ and said, you were, past tense, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you've now been made alive in Christ Jesus. See, Christians aren't just new people, not just uh, nice people. Christians are new people. Hopefully, they're nice as well. But, but we're, we're new people. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And that's the difference that the Spirit of God makes in the life of a child of God. Look at it again, verse 4 and 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but the demonstration of the Spirit's power. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. I would not dare to stand to preach without asking the Spirit of God to fill me and anoint me, proclaim the message of Christ. If your faith rests on my wisdom, I'm just looking at verse 5 here, you're in bad trouble. But if your faith rests on the finished work of Jesus and the power of God, then your destiny is set in heaven. We're talking about the power of the message. Let's go back to verse 2 and look at the message. For, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, when Paul says, I resolved to know nothing among you, it doesn't mean he ever talked about other things like uh, Christian ethics or Christian joy or Christian fellowship or or uh, taking the gospel to those who had never heard. But everything that, Paul, everything that Paul taught was focused in and centered in on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. His preaching was gospel-centered. His preaching was cross-centered. Now, to say salvation is found in Jesus Christ and him crucified is offensive to many. Oxford University philosopher Sir Alfred Ayer said of all the religions in the world that a person can follow, he said, Christianity is the worst. And this is what he said. He said, it rested on the allied doctrines of original sin and vicarious atonement, which are intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. That's the mind of the natural man that is set at enmity against God and against the gospel of God. But Paul preached Jesus and him crucified. It is offensive to the natural man or woman to say that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. It's offensive. It's offensive to our ego. It's offensive to our pride. It's, it's, it's like people are thinking, you're calling them criminals. But the Bible is quite clear. There's none righteous, not, not even one. And we all need a divine Savior, and his name is Jesus. And on the cross, he made salvation possible for those who trust in him. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir today. I know you believe that. But it wasn't always the case. I'd been your pastor about four or five Sundays. Let's go all the way back to June 
1979. And I preached a simple sermon from John chapter 14, verse 6. There Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I had preached that text, I had preached that sermon in many, many youth revivals when I was a youth evangelist. And it was just not a big deal. People knew they were saved and lost and they knew Jesus was the only Savior. If they were going to get saved, they had to come to Jesus. So I preached the message there, what I preached in so many other places, and I was just stunned at the number of people who came up to me after that service and said, Pastor, I can't believe how much courage you have to preach on such a controversial subject as that. And I was taken aback. What's controversial? We're Baptists. <laughs> we believe the Bible. Little did I know, there was, there was a root of universalism and pluralism deeply embedded in the church that had to be rooted out. And we sell some bloody seas to get there. We just embrace it now because we believe the book. It wasn't always that way. Not just this pastor, but others have gone before you to make this possible. I've been here about two years, maybe three. Spirit of God was moving in a powerful way among our teenagers. Many were coming to Christ. And they wanted their young pastor to speak at the Auburn High School Baccalaureate. So I got invited. I'd done baccalaureates in other places. Wasn't anything unusual. In fact, the first time Kim heard me preach was a baccalaureate sermon I preached in my hometown, Florida High School, 1970. And she was there with her then boyfriend, but she later wised up and <laughs> found me. Her, her boyfriend was in the graduating class and she was there with him and his mother. I mean, I've done baccalaureates. I, I go to Auburn High School. What am I going to, I'm going to preach on Jesus. As soon as the service is over, somebody came to me and said, I can't believe how often you said the word Jesus in your talk today. 30 seconds later, somebody, I can't believe how often you said the word Jesus in your talk today. And just numerous people before I left the high school auditorium said, I can't believe how often you said the name Jesus in your, in your baccalaureate message today. I, I'm a preacher. What do you want me to do? I was told it was the talk of the faculty lounge. This is 40 years ago. That young preacher talking about Jesus in our school. Fast forward a few years. My oldest son graduates. And he has a baccalaureate service. I go. No mention of Jesus. My oldest daughter graduates. Kim and I go. No mention in that message of Jesus. Our youngest daughter and Amy graduates. I go. No mention of Jesus. Look, the world wants to eliminate the message of the 
gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ from the public square, but as long as there's breath in my body and, 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 and teeth in my mouth and there's not, I'm going to gum it to death. I'm going to preach the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ until I die. We have the message of salvation. Nobody else has it, but we do. We're not going to back up, let up, or shut up until we're taken up. I'm with you, Paul. Sign me up, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came in the summer of 1966 as a first quarter freshman to this community. My heart was set on becoming a lawyer and someday being the first Republican senator from Alabama. God had other plans and during my sophomore year, he rerouted me to gospel ministry. I left here in December of 67, transferred to Sanford, graduated, began to preach, pastor, met and married Kim, went to Texas, came back to Carolina Baptist Church. And for 11 and a half years, I had in my heart a desire someday to come to Auburn a second time. And thank you for giving me that opportunity. For inviting me to be your pastor. I told the search committee who recommended me, chaired by Larry Swango, be sure this is what you want to do because if the church calls me, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay. I came to stay, I've kept my word. The greatest privilege of my life is to know and love Jesus. And next, my wife of 49 years, who has been my very dearest and best friend, and my the love of my family, they're here, my, three children, their spouses, my wonderful nine grandchildren. But other than my relationship with Jesus and my family, the greatest privilege of my life is to be your pastor, your, your shepherd, to stand in this pulpit and for 14 and a half years on the other campus and to say, take your copy of God's word and find and just preach the scriptures. If I had a thousand lifetimes, I'd want to be a preacher of the gospel of the grace of God in every single one of them. And in every one of them, I'd want to be the pastor of Lakeview Baptist Church. I have been satisfied and content and fulfilled as your pastor in ways that I, my vocabulary is inadequate to describe. 
Today, as I preach for the last time as your pastor, and Pastor Brian has told me I can preach after I'm no longer your pastor, <laughs> but I'm going to be under the radar for a while, and I'll say more about that tonight. I do want to affirm the call of God to Brian. When, uh, when I announced about 13 months ago my intention to retire and the church committee began their work, which they did with great diligence and prayerfulness, and I said to you at that time, I want our, our, our search to be characterized by uh, holiness and humility. And if we have holiness and humility, we'll have harmony. And we've had holiness, humility, and harmony. Thank God for that. I salute you for that. It's been amazing. I will miss my day in and day out interaction with Pastor Brian and our staff. But when there was a need, there was a man in Fisherville, Kentucky that God prepared. And when the committee came calling, Brian and Heather responded the same spirit of God that has blessed this fellowship over these many years will continue to bless under Pastor Brian's wise and spirit-filled and godly leadership. But thank you for letting me preach to you all these years. I want to just read to you extended quote from B.H. Carroll, the founder and the first president of the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, expresses, expresses my heart today. I magnify my office. Oh my God, as I get nearer home, I can say more truthfully every year, I thank God that he put me in this office. I thank him that he would not let me have any other, that he shut me up to this glorious work. And when I get home among the blessed on the bank of everlasting deliverance and look back toward time and all of its clouds and sorrows and pains and privations, I expect to stand up and shout for joy that down there in the fog and down there in the midst and down there in the dust and in the struggle, God let me be a preacher. I magnify my office in life. I magnify it in death. Whether rich or poor, sick or well, whether strong or weak, anywhere, everywhere, among all people, Lord God, I am glad that I'm a preacher, that I'm a preacher of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my heart right there. And thank you for letting me preach to you. Now, 
I preach to you today about Jesus and the cross. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to cleanse from sin any and all who trust in him. But salvation is not automatic. Just because Jesus went to the cross to redeem us from our sins doesn't mean we are automatically saved. We must respond to him in repentance and faith. We turn away from our sins. We renounce them. And we turn to Christ and receive him. And as many as received him, to them gives he the power to become the children of God. And in an assembly of this many people, there are, I'm sure, many who know about Jesus, but you've never met him in a personal, saving way. But the good news is you can today if you'll come to Jesus. And so as our musicians come to lead us, we're going to stand in just a moment to be a pastor ahead of this aisle and this aisle and this one and this one. And if you want to know Christ, we're going to ask you to slip out of your, your seat and make your way to one of our pastors and let us help you know Christ. We stand and sing, come while we sing. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.